You are now tuned in to the AddictedToSuccess.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next-level game-changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on AddictedToSuccess.com. Now, before we get into this episode, I just wanted to share with you a gift from our sponsors, Organifi. And if you head over to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, and type in the code SUCCESS, whenever you purchase an order, you get a 20% discount on any of their products. You know, I've been using the green juice from Organifi for a couple weeks now, and I can absolutely say this one here is a game changer. This is a superfood powder that saves me the time from having to mix five or six uh, different containers of superfood. It's just all there in the packet for me, and I take it every single day, and I feel absolutely amazing. I have that mental clarity I feel a hell of a lot healthier and I get this burst of energy that can only come from a natural substance. And so I speak highly of Organifi and its benefits and I know that there are a number of people out there right now that would love to operate at optimal levels. So if you're looking for something that is not only nutritious but also delicious, then jump on to Organifi. Head over to Organifi.com. Use a discount code. They've got a number of awesome products right there. I also take the probiotics and the turmeric as well. And I just feel so on point with this awesome line of products. So make sure you head over there. Thank you for checking out this sponsor ad. Let's get into this interview. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. I'm your host, Joel Brown. And today I am with an incredible transformational coach and speaker, with over 25 years of experience in hypnotherapy and psychotherapy. This amazing woman has worked with actors, rock stars, artists, and even royalty to help them really find what it is about themselves that they can truly love. She helps them to destroy their limiting beliefs and to live an empowered life. She's also a best-selling author and an international speaker with a very compelling message. Here is the incredible Marissa Pia. Marissa, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's great to be here and talk to you and, of course, your great audience. <laughs> no problems at all. I love your accent there, Marissa. I'm sure you get okay. that all the time, right? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Some people don't understand it, but um, most people <laughs> Ah, beautiful. So, Marissa... Uh, I, the first time I ever came across your work was a speech that you delivered at A-Fest uh, for Valley, And so I really love that speech because I've heard a lot of uh, speakers uh, talk on the subject of uh, limiting beliefs and self-beliefs and self-love. But I love that you have, uh, you have the experience and the stories as well to really back it up and to share and paint a great picture of how we, if we chase this success all the time, you know, I mean, the, the brand's called Addicted to Success, right? So chasing this success all the time that we can, if we're not aware of it, really put ourselves in a hole, right? Because we build ourselves up so much and have this huge expectation. And when it, we don't meet that expectation or it's not what we thought it would be, that we just, our world collapses around us. So I really want to dive deep with you today on what are the effective ways to, I guess, execute in the business world 
but at the same time, also to be able to not lose that self-love and to not to not live in those limiting beliefs uh, over and over again. So, what do you believe to be the most interesting thing about the power of your mind? Well, the, the most interesting thing about your mind is that it doesn't care. It doesn't care if what you tell it is good or bad, right or wrong, healthy or unhealthy, true or false. It just lets it in. And most people don't even understand that, that your mind isn't thinking, oh, this is a good thought, this is a bad thought. It's like if you got on a plane and thought, hmm, I think that man on the other road looks like a terrorist is going to blow up the plane, you're going to have a very different reaction to someone who says, oh, great, there's three movies on here that I love and got some really nice food and a book and I'm going to have 10 hours all to myself. Because it, it, it isn't so much that your mind, you know, people have this belief that your mind's job is to make you happy. It really isn't. It's to make you survive. And I've been talking about recently, it was to make you survive against incredible odds that were stacked against you. And so your mind's job is to keep you alive on the planet. And it kind of tunes into your dialogue to work out how best to do this. If you say things like, my job's killing me, my boss is stressing me out, this client is a nightmare, I'm dying under the paperwork, your mind's going to do everything in its power to get you away from what you keep saying is killing you, stressing you, driving you insane. And, you know, I would people who even say that about, oh, my children are killing me. These kids are a nightmare. They are driving me insane. And, of course, that isn't true. They're your children. They, they might be a challenge. I mean, I know mine are. <laughs> but um, they're not really driving you insane. And most people have no concept that your mind eavesdrops on every word you say and lets it in, no matter what it is. It's like if you go to have a, an injection and go, oh, my God, it, it's so painful that was agony, or say, well, I didn't really even notice it, that happens too. And, you know, I noticed looking at babies having shots, that because they don't know what's coming, they often don't even cry. And then you see people who get in such a state, they can't even go to the dentist, they can't have um, injections for malaria, so they have to cancel their holiday. I mean, I've had clients who've canceled their own wedding because their perception of, oh, people are going to look at me as I walk down the aisle and I look fat and I've got spots and my hair isn't quite right. And we should really be teaching children in school that the most important words you ever hear are the words you say to yourself and believe and that you can't afford the, a negative thought. You know, that's a luxury to, to to be negative. You haven't got time for that. Life isn't long enough to indulge in negative thinking when it's really easy to, to make stuff positive. I mean, it's simple. I'll give you an example. My little girl was going to school. She'd go out the front door and she'd always come back. And I, I never said to her, what have you forgotten? I go, what have you remembered? She goes, I've remembered my swimming trunks. I've remembered my book. I've remembered my lunch. I go, that's great. You know, your brain is so clever. Every time you get to the gate, it reminds you and you come back, and of course, after a while, she stopped forgetting anything, because I always kept saying to her, wow, you always remember as you get to the gate. And I never made her feel bad. In fact, she felt really good, and now she's got a great memory. And any parent can do that, but we do that, oh, you've got a brain like a sieve, you know, you forget everything, you forget your head if it wasn't screwed on, and we indulge in this really negative conditioning. You know, with, with children whose brains are like sponges and it's so much easier to make them see stuff as positive. I mean, kids don't even think weather's bad or good. It's just weather. They like rain. They like jumping in puddles. But we go, oh, oh, today's a horrible day. It's a write-off. Everything's ruined. Look at that weather. Isn't it horrible? When they don't even think like that. And we train them to because someone trained us to. And 
I'm really all about stopping that. Yeah, that is powerful. That's powerful stuff. You know, it's funny. I uh, was down at the beach uh, out here in Western Australia a couple of days ago. And I saw these little kids and this little kid comes up and he's like, hey, I saw a stingray. And like, he just came up to me and wasn't thinking anything about like, what is this person going to think of me or anything? And it's just really interesting when you watch these young children that really don't care because they haven't created, well, most haven't anyway, depending on how old they are and how much programming they've uh, been introduced to. But most most little kids can you know, go to the playground and get into a uh, a tizzy because they, you know, somebody took their swing or, or jumped on the slide when they wanted to go and they cry it all out and get it all out and then they'd be good again and they'd be best friends with this little kid, the, the other little kid again. So it's just really interesting watching uh, young children and how they really show up in the world and that there's none of this, like, you know, giving meaning to everything. Yeah, I find what I find really interesting is a lot of people come to see me because they can't speak in public and they go, no, I, I, I want to give this talk or this presentation, I want to get promoted, I want to chair a meeting at work, but, you know, I can't draw attention to myself. And I'm like, you know what, the first thing they have when you were born is people looked at you, the nurse, the midwife, the doctor, your mom, your dad, grandpa, everyone looked at you, no baby goes, don't look at me, I'm having a really bad day, my legs are fat and my diaper's full and my nose is running. Babies love attention, and if you sit, stand at a beach or a park, you hear them going, Daddy, watch me, watch me, look at me, look at me, watch me jumping, swimming, anything. You know, they like attention. So I've always found it fascinating because I used to look at my little girl and go, Mommy, look at me, listen to me sing, watch me jump, watch me dance, watch me swim, look how good I am, or just watch me. How that goes from that to I couldn't possibly go into a store and ask them where this item is or there's no way I can read in class. And it's because somewhere, somehow, someone told them, don't draw attention to yourself or don't speak out loud. You might mess it up. Or, oh, that was awful. I felt so bad for you when you tried to give that speech and um, you were terrible. And so, you know, you really have to understand that when you came onto the planet, you loved attention and you felt you were completely worthy of it and absolutely deserving of it. You had no problem with it. In fact, babies get really upset if they don't get attention and they cry and people say, that baby just wants attention. Well, what's wrong with that? And so I'm all about showing people, actually, it, you were born with it. And guess what? You can get it all back. You can reactivate and regenerate what you were born with really, really quickly. You just have to understand where this thing came from that made you feel that you weren't comfortable being looked at, you weren't comfortable speaking on stage. You know, people say to me, how can you speak on stage? I'm like, oh, it's so cool. Why wouldn't you? It's great. You know, people <laughs> like you. People come and go, I love what you said, or it was so cool. And even when I checked into this hotel in the nowhere, the doorman went, oh, I've been learning a lot from you. And I said, he said, yeah, I watch you on YouTube, and I love what you have to say. And I thought that was so nice that across the water in Puerto Rico is someone who follows me and listens to my talks on YouTube. But I used to be very, very insecure. And now um, I really like it. And I, re I want everyone to be comfortable being, be, not, have, not being the focus of attention, but you should be able to go up and ask for a raise. You should be able to chair a meeting, to go to your boss and I've got this amazing idea you should be able to go out and speak to people. And if you see a girl or a guy, you like to walk up to them and go, hey, how are you? And 
just talk to them without this feeling of what are they thinking of me because who cares what you think of you matters and of course the great thing is when you think you're interesting and nice and warm and compelling everyone else does as well and when you think you're not and try to fake it people pick up that you don't really believe in yourself because we love people that are confident and yet we have this fear that if we're confident we appear arrogant and big-headed and that simply isn't true. Confidence is very sexy, it's incredibly reassuring and it makes people feel good to be around people who are confident and know what they're doing. Yeah, this is really interesting. I, what, do you, what do you think the biggest uh, limiting belief is out there? Because you've worked with a lot of people. Yeah. You know, a lot of actors and celebrities and athletes and your everyday person as well. What's the biggest limiting beliefs that really uh, forces them to play small? Many, many people in the public eye have this belief that I'm not enough. And, and you can look at people like Philip Seymour Hoffman and Amy Winehouse, Whitney Houston, even Michael Jackson, even Heath Ledger who with all the fame and all the money and all the accolades still felt that they weren't enough and it ended up killing them. And so what I work with people a lot is, I used to spend a lot of time as a therapist finding out what was wrong. Now I don't even bother because I know that everyone's got the same thing. They never feel enough. I with a lot of models who just don't feel pretty enough or young enough or thin enough. I work with actors who still think they're not talented enough or CEOs who think, yeah, but there's this young blood coming up who might overtake me and billionaires who still think they're not rich enough. But really when you peel that away, what they feel is I'm not enough. I need more money, more success, more accolades, more attention, more focus because I just don't feel I'm enough. And it's such a lie because everyone is enough just the way they are. So I treat that. And when I train other therapists, I always say, listen, you know, one of the reasons I'm so successful and cure people in an hour is because I don't spend 10 sessions working out what's wrong. I know what's wrong. They never feel mm -hmm. enough. And when you put that to people and then track back to look at where did that come from, because, you know, we have these parents who go, well, your sister's so much prettier than you, or your brother, he did, so he could pass his exams, he could pick up maths like that. And, you know, a lot of parents will say, like, well, this is the pretty one, and this is the smart one. Or, you know, they late, well, your cousin is so much better than you at, at writing. And it makes them feel really, really inadequate, because schools, although they pretend they don't, they compare kids to each other all the time. And they really shouldn't do that because each child has got their own gift. And, you know, I'm just doing something in, in the prison system now because so many people in jail feel they've got nothing to offer. And yet a lot of them are incredibly talented. They just, no one's ever believed in them. And we all need at least one person to believe in us and to make us feel that we're enough. And then we'll be fine. Like that little kid who came up and talked about the stingray, he didn't think you were going to reject him or laugh at him or diminish him. But it's very easy to diminish people. And then they buy into, oh, my cousin is smarter, my sister is prettier, my brother is faster, my someone else is better, these people at school are better than me. And I you know I saw that with my own daughter. It really disturbed me how the school would pit everyone in the class against each other. And I was taking her into school one day and she pointed out this little girl and said, you know, mommy, she can write her name in a box and I can't write my name in a box. I'm like, yeah, but her name is Amy. 
And your name is Phaedra, and it's got a P and an H and an A and an E and a D and an R and an A. And when you're 11, everyone can write their name in a box. Who cares? You're such a beautiful artist. But I thought that was incredible that the school would make all these kids write their name in a box. And if your name is Theodora and your friend is Sam, then that's really unfair because Sam's going to have a much easier time than Theodora. But they just, and they compare them and they give the best ones stars and they never mark effort, they only mark achievement. And I think you should mark effort, not achievement, because gifted kids don't have to put any effort in. And the kids who strive really hard but don't get the achievement start to give up. And my dad was a headmaster, and he, he only ever marked effort. And I thought that was a wonderful thing, and I've always done that too. These are really interesting points, Marissa. Would you say overall, like when you think about, uh, let's so with your daughter, you know, schooling, right? Schooling, then you have your everyday life within business, then you have like relationships, right? Romantic relationships. Do you believe, and I know that these two can go together, I get that, but do you believe that one is uh, is even more important than the other? Love and effort. Because you know, a lot of people say, well, I love this person, I love this person, but do you believe that effort is required? Like effort is more important at the end of the day to really make something work? Well, you know, when you love someone, you, you should make an effort into loving someone so for instance you know I love my husband he loves me but I still make an effort I still shave my legs and wash my hair and put on makeup and I would never go well I don't need to do that because he loves me just the way I am and the same thing with my daughter I would tell her I love her and I would make an effort you know I'd if it was her birthday I'd, I'd do special things and a lot of people say well of course I love you I married you didn't I or don't be silly. I mean, I was just watching that film Fences the other day where the boy asked his dad, do you like me? And he said, I don't have to like you. I provide for you. I mean, I know that's a very, this was set in the 40s. But we still have people who think that, you know, loving, just showing up means you love them. Just paying the bills means you love them. And you should make an effort. You should tell people you love them, show them you love them. Because we all want to feel special to somebody and, and most of the celebrities I work with are out there trying so hard to feel special to someone. I mean, you look at Madonna. She's a great example. You know, one of eight children, mother died. And you can see in her that need to be special. Diana, Princess Diana, was exactly the same. Her mother died when she was little. And she needed the whole world to love her because she didn't really feel lovable. And Marilyn Monroe said once, I always remember this word for word, someone said to her, Marilyn, why do you go out in those tight dresses with no underwear on, everything hanging out? And she said, because I need to belong to the whole world. I need everyone to love me because I've never belonged to anyone or anything in my whole life. And although the whole world was out there trying to love her and trying to love Diana, if you don't love yourself, it just goes right over your head. You know, I work with a lot of people who just have no concept of how lovable they are because somebody didn't make an effort with them. They didn't make an effort. You know, if you, again, if you look at Michael Jackson, one of seven, I think it was eight children, nobody really makes an effort with those children. And, 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 and unless you're lucky enough to be born into a family where you belong and you're connected and you're significant, then you spend your life trying to make other people make that effort that your parents didn't make. You know, I work with a lot of people who are twins, and what they hate is the parents saying, twins, 
come in, dinner's ready, or twins, it's time for bed, because they don't have an identity. One of my clients said, I hate my twin, because I never had anything just for me. And it, even a birthday, everything was shared. And she got out of home as fast as she possibly can, could. So a lot of the people I see that are very damaged are damaged because nobody made enough of an effort. They just lumped them with the other kids, and they never made them feel significant. And they spend their whole life trying to be significant to someone and often to the whole world because they didn't have anyone making them feel significant when they were little. Yeah, wow. So, so, and this carries on into their relationships and friendships throughout their whole life unless they yeah. work on it, sure. right? Once you feel unlovable, which is the common denominator of so many problems we have, if you think I'm not enough or I'm unlovable, you might find someone that loves you, but you're going to have this belief that, well, I don't know really why you love me, and it's all an act. I've fooled you. I've, I've fooled you with this great body or this great job. Or, but one day you'll find out the truth and you'll dump me. And those people then are so destructive in relationships. They just bring about the ending super fast because it's a bit like, who is it that said I'd never join a club that would have me as a member? And that's what a lot of people think about, you know, okay, I want love, but I'm not worthy of it. So if someone loves me, what's wrong with them? They, they obviously aren't what I thought they were because they want to be with me. I mean, it, it's tough. I mean, I, my father was a headmaster. He was an amazing headmaster, but he made a real effort with other people's children. And I was very lucky that I had one person, my grandmother, who believed in me. And you only need one person. But so many children don't don't have that. And... It's really hard. And then I see other people who, as adults, they, they actually want to punish their parents. I see a lot of children of millionaires and billionaires who are so, so destructive. And they're really saying to us, look what you did. You're always on a plane or somewhere apart from me, and I didn't feel significant to you, and now I'm going to punish you by being crazy and acting up. And you know, it, it's very hard to look at children who, again, nobody made an effort with them. You know, when I when I, I go to Africa a lot and I look at how tribes are with children, and then you look at the West where we, you know, we give little babies their own bedroom on the top of the house. We strap them in buggies. We, we take them out, and they're not with us. And, and then we put them in nursery when they're, like, tiny. We send them to school when they're, like, three and a half or four, particularly in England. Then we wonder why they're so damaged because we sort of just give them to other people to raise and other people are never going to make the effort that your parent makes. And even if they do, even if you're lucky to have a great or pair or nanny, they leave. And then children are even more damaged because they didn't have that effort. And the great thing about being loved is someone makes an effort. You know, I know with my husband, occasionally he'll come back and he's made an effort to get something that I really want or he's on the computer making an effort to download a movie that he knows I want to watch. And those little efforts are so nice. And then I, I make an effort for him, and we should all be doing that for other people, but also for ourselves, because then the message you get is, I'm worth it. Whereas the message so many of us get is, I'm not worth it, and I never will be, and that's never going to go away. Yeah, yeah. M Marissa, what exercises would you share that you find effective for any struggling entrepreneur that has this uh 
I don't know if you call it sabotage or like this this feeling that comes up for them where they they're limiting their own self from going to that next level or it could even happen in relationships too where you know the partner is is there and is making the effort and is loving but this person doesn't feel worthy of that successful relationship or success in business and they they do these unconscious things to sabotage it well there's two things the first is that nothing on the planet will grow your self-esteem like self-praise, not the praise of other people. Because when other people praise us, it can be real, but you will know you go into a store and they go, oh, you look so great in that color. And that praise is because they want to make a commission. And so your brain understands when other people are praising you that there's something in it for them. But when you praise yourself, again, it just thinks it must be true because you say it a lot. So it's really really important to praise yourself every day and it doesn't have to be anything amazing. you can come I'm a great person I'm kind I'm nice I was really good today I let someone in front of me in the queue I I was I smiled at someone I, I did a great job at work I helped someone out because it, what's happening in the world now is that many many of us are having startups we have our own business we we work from home and years ago is to go to work and we'd look to our boss to go well done good job great job you did a really good job today and if you're an entrepreneur or you're starting your own business you might have to go for two years before anyone says great job because it takes a long time to, to build a business and if you can't build up your own praise muscle then you just won't make it I know when I wrote my first book um I couldn't have written if I hadn't sat at the computer and go, wow, this book's amazing, this book's brilliant, this book's fantastic. Actually, when I read it, I thought it was not quite actually as good as I thought it was. The first three chapters I could really see that I'd never written before. But if I'd said that in the beginning, oh, this is amateur and I've never done this before and you can really see it, I could never have finished it because I kept telling myself, this is a brilliant book, people are going to love it. And then I sent it to a publisher and they did love it. But you, you have to praise yourself. You have to think of what it is that you most want to hear. And it may go back to when you were two. You know, you're a good kid. You're funny. You're interesting. You're warm. You're good company. I love being around you. Whatever you wanted to hear and still want to hear, instead of trying to make someone else say it, say it to yourself over and over and over again, I'm great at my job, I'm fantastic at connecting, I'm really good at speaking, I'm great with customers, I'm good with money. And if you keep saying it and saying and saying it, of course, first of all, it's what you say, but very quickly it becomes who you are. And your mind gets used to it, and your mind at first will come up with silly little objections, we'll know you're not really amazing at numbers. But if you keep saying it, you run out of objections. Then your mind goes, you know what? You say this so much, must be true. And it really goes in. So I, I can't tell you enough, the audience that are listening, how much praising yourself makes a difference to your life. It's the same thing as if you're in the gym. Don't look in the mirror and go, oh, look how fat my legs are. Look in the mirror and go, wow, look at me. I'm working out and I've got a strong body and look how nice my hair is, you know. Uh, and if you're a guy, don't go, oh, you know, I'm not ripped. Go, what great teeth I've got and here I am working out and I'm strong. And, and just keep saying nice stuff to yourself on a regular basis and it will change you so dramatically that it will change how other people think about you. But the second thing 
which is my favorite thing to do, is to write on your mirrors, I am enough, to write it on your wallpaper, on your screensaver, to take your phone alerts and to have the ping first thing in the morning and later at night, I'm enough every day. I mean, I have that still on my phone. I particularly say it when I'm in the shower because what else are you going to say in there? I love the smell of this coconut conditioner. When you're cleaning your teeth, there are certain times in the day when there's nothing else to stop you saying, I'm enough, I'm enough, I'm enough. And you see, a lot of my clients will say, well, I, I've been saying I'm a rock star. And my brain goes, no, you're not, because you live in a shared apartment and you drive this car that's 12 years old. You're not a rock star. You're not a goddess because you're not a size two with, you know, two breasts the size of a grapefruit stuck on your clavicle. <clears throat> but when you say I'm enough, your mind never objects to that because it's true. And so many people I meet say so I tried saying I'm a superstar, I'm a goddess, I'm a perfect ten, and it didn't work. Because they object to do it themselves. When you go, I'm enough, I'm good enough, I'm lovable enough, I've always been enough, and I always will be enough. <clears throat> Your mind goes, yeah, of course you are. And knowing that you're enough will, will change your life because it's so lovely. When you know you're enough, you don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to put on an act. You don't have to fake it. Sure, you're still going to go to the gym and work hard to be a success, but you don't battle with yourself and feel like a fake that's trying to fool the whole world. But like John Lennon said, you can't hide when you're crippled inside. When you know you're enough, you're not crippled inside, you're free. And the more you know it, the more everyone else around you knows it too. And your life just feels so lovely. And I can say that as someone who was the most insecure, inadequate, self-conscious young girl and now I'm really not and I can hardly recognize myself but saying I'm enough and praising myself changed my entire life and I sit back and watch how it changes all my clients lives and it's really nice to see it mm, thank you for sharing that Marissa pa two powerful exercises so for all the listeners right now if these are the only two things that you take from this interview I'm sure you can take a lot more but if you just take these two things and what I think is more important is to actually action those two things every day and make it a habit because you know success is, is about what we do on the daily. It's not just about like the thoughts, we actually have to action it. But if you can implement these into your daily habits, you grow in leaps and bounds, I'm sure. Marissa, I love that you also highlighted that um, it needs to be very specific and something that our brain can't object to. Because I know that I have, you know, with my clients, a lot of a lot of them saying, oh, I'm saying all these affirmations and it's not working. <laughs> and they've got like a hundred different affirmations written down. And, uh, you know, I feel like it's it's the incongruency in your system, right? Your, your mind and your body is going, wait a minute, that doesn't feel right. And so it rejects it. Yeah, I was at a client's house and she has something on the wall and it said, life should be a beautiful day. Every day should be a walk through the park and it should all be beautiful, beautiful. And I said, but that's not true. If you believe that and on your day the park's rainy and there's a bit of dog shit on, on the grass, I mean, you, you're giving yourself a silly thing to try and live up to. Life is supposed to be beautiful every day. Why don't you just change that to I'm enough? 
And I, I don't even call them affirmations. I call what I do statements of truth. The statement of truth is that you are enough. You always have been. You certainly always will be. You came onto the planet knowing that you're enough. And so when people have, as you say, hundreds of affirmations and these little flashcards all over the place with so many affirmations, it just confuses the brain. It, it's too much to let in. And no one else objects, but it's you that's objecting. So when you say, you know, I'm a movie star, I'm a superstar, I'm a rock star, and you sing that song from Shrek, hey there, I'm a rock star, got my rock moves, which is a great thing to sing. I like singing that. Or when you sing, this girl is on fire before you go onto stage, or I'm titanium, all, all things I 100% believe in. As long as you've got I'm enough as your core belief, then the other ones are just gravy. But you, you, the core belief you want to have is I am enough. And then you don't feel this terrible thing that someone is better than you. You know, people are always shocked with the amount of models I work with and how insecure they are. I'm like, well, of course they are. Because when you're a model, there's always a younger, taller thinner model coming up right behind you, no matter how beautiful you are, there's always someone, what we call BBD, the bigger, better deal, and it makes them terribly insecure. Whereas if you're um, someone like, uh, I'm trying to think of the girl who wrote Abab, Jennifer Saunders, if you're known for being funny and that's part of your personality, that never goes away. So they don't have the insecurity of, oh, this girl's taller, thinner, prettier, she's earning more than me. And it's very hard when you're judged entirely on what you look like because we all know that doesn't last. And I'm, a lot of my clients, when their husbands say, oh, my God, I love you because you're so beautiful, they think, well, what will happen when I'm not? And I see that a lot with children whose parents go, I love you because you're so beautiful. I love you because you're so smart. I love you because you're so helpful. What they hear is, oh, and if I wasn't, you wouldn't. And really we want someone to go, I love you because you're you. And even with your flaws, I just love you because you're you. And it's so much of a nicer thing when someone loves you because you're you. Because what they're saying is you're enough and I'm enough. And we're all flawed people having a relationship with flawed people. And what people don't understand is that when you join that race to be perfect, which never has a finishing line, by the way, even if you appear to pull it off, we don't like perfect people. They intimidate us. So all my clients who've managed to become perfect tend to be alone. I mean, again, I look at Madonna um, with all her talent and everything she has going on, but you can see an aloneness there because nobody else can relate to that. Um, you know, Judy Garland always talked about how lonely she was. A lot of my clients who are supermodels are very lonely because nobody can relate to them. So you don't have to be a model. You just have to be you and know that you're enough. And you don't have to be a billionaire. You just have to be happy and do what you love. And you're more likely to be successful when you know that you're enough because it gives you a driver. And people think, well, if I'm enough, won't I just lie on the sofa eating potato chips all night? No. When you know you're enough, you think, well, if I'm enough and I know I'm enough, then I deserve success and I deserve um, recognition and I deserve this company to work. And it really drives you to be the very best you can be without faking it till you make it or, or working too hard. You know, when you know you're enough, you also take time out for you. You go to the gym, you eat better food because you know that 
you deserve all of that and more. So probably my favorite thing in the world, and people who come to my house always say, why have you got that written all over your mirrors? And I'm like, well, you know, I can't change the world. I like changing people. And one of the ways I change people is by making them believe they're enough just the way they are. It's like if you said to your friend, you're so fat and it, you look terrible, why aren't you going to diet? They're going to go straight out and eat lots of ice cream. But if you say to someone, wow, you know, you've dropped about 10 pounds, it really suits you. They'll go and lose more weight because you're making them feel good about themselves, not bad. So being enough is the core of what I do because I see how much it changes people, but also how they keep the change. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you, Marissa. I I love these points, and that you also uh, mentioned. You know, people in a wide array of different areas, models, and you know, actors, and and billionaires, and millionaires. Uh, I get to interview and work alongside a lot of high achievers in a lot of these fields, and I do find that they still like the rest of the world is putting them on a pedestal and going, "Oh, they're so amazing." But even then, when you really get them in a room one-on-one, you realize that like they struggle with the same things that most people do. What What do you feel for you? And I know that you put in the practice, and this is a constant, this is an everyday practice for anybody. What do you feel for you comes up the most that you have to really be conscious and intentional about uh, working on every day for yourself? Um. Not letting in criticism is something I'm I'm pretty good at now. But it is interesting because when you put yourself out there, if you write books, if you train people on stage, if you do what I do, which is I teach therapists how to be amazing therapists, there's always going to be someone who's going to go, I hate you and you're stupid. And um, I have quite a lot of talks on YouTube and occasionally I'll go and have a look at the comments and I'm very lucky because they're nearly all good but there's a few that are really out there I mean one guy said I can't stand that narcissistic stuck up pompous upper class bitch and um, I looked at that and actually it was quite funny because someone else put underneath she's not going to let that in because I'm all about not letting in criticism and (laughs) it was quite funny how many people were defending me which is very sweet and so now I, I have got to a place where on the whole Criticism doesn't hurt me. But, you know, of course, people will come up to my school and occasionally write in and go, look, I love the school, it was great, but this was wrong and this happened. And you just have to take a deep breath and go, right, you know, that did happen and I've got to learn from that and I have to make the school even better. And so I I try to really see all criticism as constructive. But if it's really mean, I I just have to not let it in. And and it's okay. It does really doesn't hurt me anymore. But I do work with a lot of clients who say, when I wake up, the first thing I do is go online and look at all the hate mail. I'm like, why would you do that? And I look at all the people trolling me. It's like, what what's the point of that? I mean, I look at mine maybe every six weeks or so. And even the fact that I can share it with you, it doesn't really hurt me. But people we we can be so damaged by prison we're very fragile and you know i'm all, i'm always telling people about tribal behavior and the truth is that when you were born and when i was born we had two great needs find connection and avoid rejection because you know 500 years ago if you were rejected you would die you know to this day if you're a little lion or a little giraffe and your mum rejects you you're not going to live 
and we lived in tribes and if they rejected us we we were finished and yet nowadays you could go and live in an apartment on your own with eight cats until you're 106 you get all your food delivered and never see a soul and live a long long life so we we're very fragile and <coughs> we have this belief that if you reject me it will kill me if you reject me, I can't make it. And people say, you know, yeah, well, I was fired in public on the trading floor, and now I can't go to work. Or this guy, the love of my life, dumped me, smashed my heart to a million pieces and jumped in, and now I can't date anyone ever again. Or, you know, the, the love of my life died, and now I'm, I'm never going to find love again. And, and you, you have to make them see, look, you, you, you Human beings are so resilient, you can get over all of that. But once we've been rejected, we tend to think, oh, I can't come back from that. And you can, because the only person who can really, really reject you is you. Nobody can reject you unless you agree with every single thing they say. So when I read the negative stuff, I mean, somebody reviewed one of my books and said, this book is terrible. It's a diet book. I lost 10 pounds in two weeks. It doesn't work. It's like, wow, that's an interesting, an interesting criticism. She lost a lot of weight. Someone else said, I bought this book in a charity shop and I want to complain because someone's written in it. Like, well, what did they expect from it? I mean, it was a crazy review because you didn't buy it from Amazon. But you have to be able to laugh at things like that <clears throat> or just say, but this is not personal. So here's something that I, I kind of invented, but I, I do like it. And it's what I call PPP. So if something's going to hurt you, it has to cover the three P's. It has to be permanent, has to be personal, it has to be all-pervasive. That means it has to go on all the time. So let's imagine you have a really difficult boss who's mean to you. That isn't personal. probably mean to everyone. It isn't permanent because one day he won't be your boss. And it's not even all-pervasive because when you're at home with your wife or girlfriend or husband having a lovely dinner or having some nice sex, he's not in the room. Um, being mean to you. So problems cannot get you unless they're permanent, personal, and all-pervasive. And they very, very rarely are. And you have to look at your problem and think, well, this time next year won't be a problem. This time next year I won't be, um, you know, in, in, in a new person in this job or in this start or I haven't got enough customers. So Again, it's all about not just not letting in criticism, but not being your own critic, not saying things like, oh, I messed that up, that was terrible, I didn't do a good enough job, I didn't do enough sales, because we're so bad at criticizing ourselves. And again, if you say things like, I'm rubbish, I'm useless, I'm terrible, I'm a loser, I messed that up, I stank up the place, you know, I started by saying your brain doesn't care, it lets it in, it will let that in. And if you say, yeah, I made a mistake today, but I learned from that mistake and I won't do that again, then anything that you won't do again has actually improved the quality of your education and it's improved who you are. You know, Napoleon said, a man who never made a mistake never made anything. You can only learn by making mistakes, so you're allowed to make a mistake, but you are not allowed to beat yourself up and make yourself feel terrible for doing something that makes you human. Sometimes our mistakes are actually the best teacher we ever had because we learn. We learn, you know, to do better and be smarter. So with the writing I'm enough and the praising yourself, another thing that is really valuable is learn to not let 
criticism in. People can be mean to you, but you don't have to let it in. You can't choose what people say, but you can certainly choose how you feel about it. And if someone is mean, just decide, well, they're having a bad day. So if someone cuts in front of you in traffic or in the queue at the store, they're often having a really bad day. And that's not personal, and it's not permanent, and it's not pervasive. So get into a really good habit of really not criticizing yourself, beating yourself up. And don't let destructive criticism in, just, just let it go. And it, it just makes you so much happier. It makes you you're more at peace and your life is better. And you just kind of live in a state of happiness instead of a state of anxiety and tension. And it's so easy to do that if you do those three things. Up the praise, minimize the criticism, and write I'm enough all over your house. And that will change your life. Oh, golden advice right there, Marissa. Wow, I love it. I love it. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, I used to, and this sounds so like cliche Aussie, <laughs> but I used to catch uh, snakes and lizards up north in the West Australian desert. I was a fauna handler in an environmental team, and I had to catch some of the most dangerous snakes uh, in Australia, right? And the teacher, the instructor, when I was going through my snake handling course, was saying that Sometimes we need to let things challenge us and test us. And what happens with some snake handlers is if they get too used to the snake and they get too comfortable, they can get bitten. And I think that this is like an analogy for, you know, walking through life. If there's going to be criticism and there's going to be that going on around you. And I think that it's okay that it, that it happens, but we get to, you know, choose where we live emotionally in that. And you know, if, we, if we're too comfortable in it, then we're going to get bit, right? It's going to really get to us. So I think that um, we're constantly tested in life to see how we show up. And all we've got at the end of the day, if we're walking through it uh, by ourselves, is ourselves. And I like that, you, you know, you said that you're, when you're sharing that story, the boss isn't in the room while you're, you know, with making love with your partner. But the funny thing is a lot of people don't understand that even though that person's not in the room, they carry it in their head. I know, I know. And they give that person so much power to go on hurting them. I mean, I work with people who say, yeah, my teacher at school when I was 11, how old are you now? 55. So 44 years later, it's still, yeah, still affecting me. I can never get over what they said or what they did and they were mean. And yet, I was, one of my clients was telling me he went to Eton, which is where um, Prince Harry and Prince William and Prince Charles, which is a very prestigious school in Eton. Um, you always go back once a year and you take out what's called your master. You'd call it a teacher. And he was telling me that his teacher was such a horrible, nasty, mean, diminishing person. He said, but you know what's so weird is that on Master's Day, when all the boys go back, they're now like 40-year-old men, to take the teacher out because these these kind of teachers don't have a life. They live in the school. It's a boarding school. No one ever turns up to take him out. So, well, that's that's it. I mean, when people are mean, that is their punishment. You don't need to punish them. Most teachers that are nasty and spiteful and snipey are alone and miserable and unhappy. And you don't have to worry about their power because they get old and tired and haven't got any power. And in fact, one of my favorite expressions, and I, you know, I teach therapists and I teach them a lot and I teach them to say to their clients a lot, is that your punishment and reward in life are exactly the same. You get to go to bed every night and wake up every morning with yourself. 
And when you love yourself, well, that's amazing. And when you hate yourself, it's a terrible thing. And I've worked with quite a few prisoners, and um, they really hate themselves. And, you know, they don't need to be locked up because the ones who've done terrible, terrible things, that is their punishment. They go to bed every night with themselves. They wake up with themselves. They hate themselves. When you love yourself, you go to bed and wake up with you, it's a great thing. And so even when I work with people who've been sexually abused, I mean, that's really gruesome. But sometimes when they go back to challenge the abuse, they go, yeah, you know, I just, this, I thought it was this big, my big tough stepfather. This is this little wrinkled up old man who was all on his own with no friends and he's in a care home, no visitors, no one likes him. I said, well, you know, that tends, to, life tends to do that on the whole, not always. And so, you know, live a life. That's your reward. Be successful. You don't need to get revenge on people that hurt you. So, so you don't need to give them any power. Just go out into the world and be the talented, lovely, loved person that you're meant to be. And, and don't give those people any power. They don't have any power unless you choose to give it to them. And we don't have to do that ever. Yes, yes. Marissa, I also wanted to drop in on this because uh, I remember reading somewhere there was a study uh they, they did some research into the prison system and they found that on mother's day uh the the prisoners were ordering like they were over ordering all these cards because they needed to to send them out to their mothers but on father's day there was only one or two cards that were sent to to prison i found that really interesting yeah, we have a whole generation of, you know, boys raised without fathers. And it's such a shame because, boy, you know, your same-sex parent is terribly important. And, you know, boys need fathers. And, you know, in, in tribes, you see how all the men are involved in, in raising boys. And it's such a shame that we just think that kids can get by with half-hearted parents or no parents or one parent and it, it simply isn't true but that, that's actually an amazing story but you know what it's never too late to be the parent you never had I mean I'm always telling my clients that the parent you wanted the dad who never praised you what did you want him to say and that's the, the praise you okay so I want you to say every day I'm a good son I'm a good son I'm interesting I'm worth being around because that's the same thing as the teacher that has the power so many kids who don't have a dad, who have a dad who can't be bothered. You see, when you're tiny, you wake up and think, my dad doesn't come to visit me. Why is that? There's only one answer, and here it is. Oh, he doesn't love me because I'm not lovable enough. My dad um, has got a new family, and he doesn't visit me. Why is that? Oh, because I'm not lovable enough. Even ch children whose parents have died will still say the same thing. But if they love me they wouldn't have died. And so children buy in very early into this belief that I'm not lovable enough and my dad would have stuck around, visited me, seen me, spent time with me. And it, it's kind of this luggage of life that they cart around with them. And I make them go back, especially in hypnosis, and say what they most wanted to hear, you're a good son, you're interesting, you deserve a great dad. And now be the parent you most wanted to have and say what you most wanted to hear and say it over and over again until it goes in because your dad is never going to turn up and do that, which is a great shame, but you can turn up and do it. And just because your dad didn't think you were worth anything, that has nothing to do with who you are or why you're here. And 
I find it particularly interesting because I work with a lot of people. I do hypnosis for IVF and hypnosis for conception a lot is very effective. But occasionally I work with someone who would be the most amazing parent who just doesn't get to have the babies that you know they'd be brilliant at raising. And then you have to put that against these people who drag up children and have so many and don't love them. Well, why? How could that be that these loving parents haven't got children and these awful parents have got too many? And in the end, I just you just have to decide that, look, the universe put you here and it wanted you to be here and it might have put you here against the odds, but the universe is your parent. And if you let it praise you and help you and support you, it really, really will. Even if your parents failed miserably at supporting you and believing in you, someone will believe in you because somebody put you on the planet for a reason. And we're all here for a reason. And... It's not up to your parents to tell you what that reason is. It's up to you. So it's never too late to be the parent you wanted to have, to hear the words you wanted to hear. You know, I often say to people, your mind should be your best friend. It should be your cheerleader. It should be your ally. It should be your PA. It should be your employee. It should be doing everything for you. But if you don't dialogue with it properly, how can it ever do that? Yeah. Yeah, I think we unconsciously just float through life, right? I heard that uh, Dr. Jody Spencer, who I had on the podcast, said that we literally only think 10% new thoughts every day, which to me is kind of scary if you want to make some big changes in your life. So, and, and yet we look at people like Muhammad Ali, and we love Muhammad Ali because he went, I'm the greatest. He said, well, what was so extraordinary? And I said that before it was true. He said, and guess what happened? It became true. I loved that. I told myself I was the greatest before I knew I was, and then, wow, I became the greatest. Arnold Schwarzenegger said, modesty is not a word that applies in any way, shape, or form. I hope it never does. But we quite, quite, quite like that. You know, when I was on a plane, and we hit horrible turbulence, and people were getting really scared, the pilot came on and went, don't, please don't worry, I'm the most experienced, best British Airways pilot of all. And you're in the most capable hands. And this is just a little detour to Disneyland. And in 10 minutes, you'll be over it because I do this route every week and I'm the best pilot VA has. And nobody went, what? How arrogant. They went, oh, thank goodness for that. We've got the best pilot, the most experienced. Yay. <laughs> because his confidence was so reassuring. It's like if you go to see a doctor, you want him to go, well, you're in the best hands because I happen to be the best specialist in this area. When you put your kids in school, you want the teacher to go, well, you've come to the best school and I happen to be the best English teacher. You don't want to go, well, I'm all right, me, and you know, sometimes I can do quite well, but usually I'm just a bit average. I mean, nobody wants to hear that. We love people telling us we're the best without arrogance. And one of the marks of people who are really, really good is that they will tell you, I am the best. If you rang up Jamie Oliver and said, Jamie, I'm coming to dinner at your restaurant, is it good? You go, good. It's bloody amazing. I'm the best chef in the UK. He doesn't have to go, I'm also the best gardener, the best feng shui expert, I'm the best English teacher, I'm a microsurgeon, I practice feng shui just as I'm good at cooking. And people like that. And yet I see so many people who, although they tell me how much they like other people telling them they're the best, they can't say, my skill set is, I am good at, this is my gift, this is what I'm great at. You know, I, when I train therapists, I'd say to them, you know, this is the best training you could ever get, and you're going to be the best therapist. And I would never say, well, I'm mediocre, because they want to be trained by the best. That's what they're paying for. 
And it would be a disservice to go, well, I'm, I'm all right. You know, I have some good days and I can make you an okay therapist. No, you're going to be the most outstanding, phenomenal, massively successful therapist because that's what I am and that's what I'm training you to be. And they like that. You know, my sister was saying it's really funny that your courses cost more and yet they are sold out and yet all these other courses cost less and they can't fill places because they don't understand that people want to come to the best and they want to learn how to be the best they can possibly be because it makes them feel good about themselves. Yes, yes. So you believe and you also get the results. And I think that's a huge thing right now. There's a lot of, I'm seeing, even in like my Facebook timeline, a lot of people pushing these courses and masterminds and programs uh, and and a lot of them are in it for the quick win they don't want to master their craft in the industry uh, and so they, ha they have a false sense of belief because they're basing it off the money and that's their driver but not really because they really want to be part of the game yeah and it's such a shame but you know mm. and they very rarely stay in business very long because I know the therapist, you know, you have to have heart to be a therapist. You have to care about your clients. And the people I train, I mean, some of them, I mean, one of them's been on national television in America. They, they were writing about the therapy. One of my clients went straight from our school, got her own radio show. Uh, some of them been in the paper over and over and over again, but they really have heart and they're not in it for the money. They do have a very nice lifestyle because you get to work for yourself, but Belief without talent will take you way further than talent without belief. But when you have both, then you're unstoppable. Whoa, that's a great quote. Wow. So true. You know, wow. I see a lot of people who have um, uh, extraordinary talent but no self-belief at all. Anyway, you know, we all watch reality and see people with no talent but a belief system that gets them out there. And, you know, I'd, one of my clients just wrote to me, I trained this girl called Sally Ann Guthrie in Australia, and she said, you know, I trained with you. She said, I'm charging $250 an hour. I'm the most expensive therapist in Australia, and I am booked up with clients. I'm booked up four months ahead because, you know, I believe in what I do, and people find the money to see me because I change their lives. And and I like that, that she has no, she doesn't feel, oh, I'm charging more than every other therapist in Australia. She has, like, you know, she's giving something of phenomenal value. You know, she's setting people free from their issues. And I have another girl called Rebecca, who's in, also in Australia doing the same thing, working with people with post-traumatic stress disorder, doing phenomenal work. And, and they don't charge $25 now. They're charging $250, $300 a session and earning it because they are tr empowering people, transforming them. And, you know, people want to pay for that because they know that they're going to someone who really knows what they're doing. And it, it is a great shame that there are people out there selling courses that don't work or, uh, you know, I've, I've seen a couple of things that really I thought were very disingenuous, you know, all that become a millionaire overnight in real estate you, you and I know that doesn't work you have to put in the hours and you have to know what you're doing but you also have to love what you do in order to put in the hours I mean I, I love what I do I mean I, I pretty much work seven days a week I don't work full-time I might just work for a couple of hours on a Sunday but because I love it it makes it easy 
Yeah, that's such a great point. Yes, yes, and yes. Uh, that, that's amazing stuff there, Marissa. Marissa, as we approach the end of this interview, I've just got one more question I want to ask you before we wrap up. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot going on right now in the U.S. I know that you spent a lot of time out in L.A. Uh, I was out there when, you know, the elections were going on. And so it, what I've seen, what I've witnessed is there's a lot of this, like, uh, polarizing... I guess, beliefs, right? So it's like you either go for Trump or you go for uh, Clinton. And people are even unfriending their friends on Facebook that are saying that they, they're happy that Trump's in and so on. And and it's really interesting to watch because I find that there's there's a lot of like separation going on just based off beliefs. And I think it'd be a great just topic real quick to jump into. Why do you feel that people get really fired up around this and decide to unfriend their friends? Like what is it that they've created in their mind or with their beliefs that creates this? Well, here's the thing. The basis of all friendship is we pick people who are like us. We, we actually pick people who share our vulnerabilities. That is the basis of friendships. And what's going on with Trump is that it's made people so very, very uncertain. It's almost like 9-11 all over again. People are uncertain. They've lost certainty. Certainty is an absolute need. And so they're looking for people like them to make them feel more certain. I'm going to give up all my friends who like him and just align myself with people who don't. And then I feel safer. And in fact, I've just been writing a program on that very thing, what the election is doing to people. And in an uncertain world, when you haven't got certainty, what you have to do is is go back to you. Yeah, we've got this president that I, makes me feel very uncomfortable, but however, I'm still a great dad. I'm still raising my kids. They're still going to the same school. I'm still a great um girl, woman, wife, a friend, lover, whatever. So, you know, you have to stay being you. And as long as you can keep yourself the same and as long as you can be unchanged, you will be able to cope with this very strange situation that's going on, not just with him but all over the world. But, you know, we, we never know what's going to happen. Sometimes the very best thing that can happen ends up being the worst. And sometimes the worst thing ends up being the best. I mean, after 9-11, we all thought the world would never be safe again. And in, in, it, it has changed. But, you know, everything is back to how it was. We still fly and we still live our lives. And I know after 9-11, it was the weirdest time. And... I think Trump coming in is, is a very similar situation, but you just have to stop looking to him for certainty, stop looking to the government and just keep certainty within yourself about what you can do, how your life is the same, how things are going to go on unchanged. And you don't, don't give up your friends because they have different beliefs to you. You, you, know, you have to kind of let people be themselves. But if you're really suffering... I have got a website called marissapeer.com. Marissa is really easy. It's just M-A-R-I-S-A-P-W-E-R.com. And we're going to give everyone who's on this call a free, we've got a free self-esteem course. All you have to do is um, sign up. We'll give it to you immediately. We don't need your card details. There's no strings attached. And um, I've been giving that away a lot to people who are suffering in this very uncertain world. And, of course, even the word self-esteem, people don't understand what that means. Esteem means what you think of you. And we say I hold 
that person in the highest esteem. It means what you think of you. So don't put your energy to what you think of Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. Put it into what you think of you because that's the only person you can change is yourself. And, you know, the only thing you can ever control are your thoughts. Your thoughts control your feelings. Your feelings control your actions and your actions control your events. Hence, some people um, attacking other people and, and doing crazy things because they're not controlling their thinking. But the law of control says when you control your thinking and when you control your thoughts, make them positive, your life is going to be amazing no matter who is the president. And that's what you have to hold on to. But if you want our free self-esteem course, just go to marissapeer.com and we'll be happy to give it to as many people as want it because that's the thing that will give you certainty, you, your relationship with you. Marissa, thank you for your advice around that. That's great advice. And thank you for the gift too. Anyone that's listening right now, head over there because this is a very valuable gift from Marissa. So Marissa, thank you so much for jumping on the Addicted to Success podcast. Uh, we've just yep. been flooded with amazing value and information right now. So I really appreciate you taking your time out there while you're out there in Puerto Rico. You could be by the beach <laughs> and uh, enjoying the beautiful uh, water and sun rays, but you're here with us. So I really appreciate you for that. And, yeah, very well. Yeah, and, and Marissa, is there anywhere else, uh, like any classes or, or courses or anything coming up or any projects that you have coming up that we, we should know about? Yeah, well, I have RTT online. So I teach this thing called Rapid Transformational Therapy, and RTT is the online version of it. So if you just go to Rapid Transformational Therapy, um, dot com, you'll find out how to do the online course. It's just as good as the live course, and we've got people all over the world training in that. I'm just about to do some live training in Barcelona a weekend as I'm in us. But if you go to marissapeer.com, all my different talks are there. Um, I'm I'm all over the world doing things, and we, we like to give stuff. We're always giving away talks, and a lot of my talks are on YouTube. RTT online. And the course, the, the weekend course in Barcelona is my most, my stuff that's coming up the most. And then I'll be in Australia at the end of this year teaching my method. And I'll be teaching that in LA, uh, Dubai, or lots of other countries. But if you go to my website, you can find out what I'm doing and where. And if you, we, we're always giving away free different CDs and DVDs. We like to do that. So, and there's no time limit either. We won't go. Oh, that was only on for 24 hours. Even if you come next month, we'll still give you away the we'll still give you the self-esteem course because I like giving stuff away. It makes me feel good. Mm, amazing, amazing, Marissa. We we always end our interviews with this one last question, and the question is: If you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? Um, I think I'd be very, I'd actually end my life being very glad that I was me. I spent the first 25 years of my life wishing I could be someone else, really anyone else. And now I probably would end my life being very glad that I've been me and really happy that I've left a legacy behind of how people can feel enough. And so that would be good. It's, I've got a legacy to leave, leave behind me and that would make me feel okay about where my time in this beautiful place is um, changing. Mm. 